The title of this message this morning is Behold His Glory. And we are looking at Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38. So let's read our text this morning. It reads like this. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was in the tabern- on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let us pray. Father, I address you this morning as one longing to behold your glory. I pray, Lord, that as we read the accounts of our text this morning, I pray that we may keenly be made aware of your glorious presence with us. Lord, far too often we are more aware of ourselves than we are of your presence. And Lord, I pray that in spite of our sin, in spite of my sin, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of my weaknesses, that, Lord, you will make your glory shown to us this morning through your holy word and that you will anoint your children, us, anoint me, Lord, as I preach your word and anoint your children as they listen, that we may be able to behold the beauty and perfection, Father, of your glorious presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you have seen the movie trilogy of The Lord of the Rings? A lot of you guys, huh? All right. Now, well, my wife and I had never seen this trilogy. We, we had never seen this trilogy. And one day, enjoying some time with our friends, the Gonzales, Marcos over there, we happened to make them aware of the fact that we had never seen the Lord of the Rings. Well, we quickly came to find out that Marcos is Hialeah's Mr. Frodo. You see... You don't play the Lord of the Rings movie trivia with Marcos Gonzalez. Because if you do, you will lose. You will lose. So they invited us over to their house for a movie night. Marcos explained to me that each movie was about six hours long. (laughs) They're pretty long. And that it would take for us probably months of movie nights together in order to be able to watch them 
together, the whole trilogy. Well, what was supposed to take months to go over took us only three days in one week. Okay? From the moment we sat down to watch the Fellowship of the Rings, we just could not stop watching. We had to get to the end. We were hooked. Well, church, my friends, this is not a movie endorsement, okay? This is an illustration to endorse our text this morning. In our text, we find ourselves at the end of the book of Exodus. It has been a long journey through this book, but it has been one that has kept us at the edge of our seats. It has been one that has kept us watching as God delivers a people in bondage and makes them his people. And right now, we are at a place where we have been waiting for for the past few months. We have been waiting, anticipating. We are at the conclusion, we are at the climax and the pinnacle of the whole book of Exodus. Now for the Israelites, this has been a long year in the wilderness after their deliverance from Egypt. Let me just take a little note. Let me just take a step a little bit outside and say, Palm Vista Community Church, if we could be lifted up this morning from Miami Lakes Middle School Auditorium, September 14th, 2008, and we would be transported back in time, 3,500 years, and be placed in the Israeli camp in the middle of the wilderness, what would we see? I believe that what we would see, guys, we would find overwhelming excitement. And you see, this excitement... It's the excitement of setting up the tabernacle for the very first time. You see, they've been preparing and they've been constructing of the tabernacle for approximately six months. Church, one day, one day in the not too far future, we will experience that same excitement. Because one day, we will build our church building. And one day we will see as God helps us build our church building and we will see step by step and we are going to be excited just waiting for that moment as our church building is completed. But now let me get back to the actual text. Back in the wilderness at last, the tabernacle is being set up for the very first time. All the tent coverings were in place. All the furnishings had been placed where God commanded. Moses, Aaron, and his sons all washed as instructed. The court around the tabernacle and the altar had been erected. And the screen of the gate of the court was set up. The tabernacle was finally finished. Just imagine that, guys. Try to imagine that. How exciting. But you know what? As exciting as this was, 
It was no match for what was to come. You see, the delight of seeing the tabernacle set up for the very first time, all of a sudden intensifies by the splendor of God's glory descending in a cloud upon the tent. Now the cloud, the one, the cloud, the one, the very one that we first saw on chapter 13 as the pillar that led them through the wilderness. This is the very same cloud that in chapter 14 went from in front of Israel to behind them to protect them from the Egyptians. In fact, this is the cloud that manifested itself on the very top of of Mount Sinai in chapter 19 and 24. And guys, now this cloud descends upon the tabernacle. And we are told, told in verse 34 and 35 that the tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. The tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. So now, let us come back and return to Miami Lakes Middle School Auditorium. And I believe this text is screaming out to us this morning, set your sights on the glory of God. Set your sights on the glory of God. It is safe to say that to be able to set our sights on God's glory, we need to define what His glory is. You see, when we think of a man's glory, we immediately think of possessions. We think of reputation. Okay? We think of importance and power. But the question this morning for us is, what do we see when we think of the glory of God? What exactly filled the tabernacle in the wilderness? What is God's glory? What is God's glory? I believe that in order for us to get the most out of this text this morning, and in order for us to get the most out of this message, we need to labor hard to define what is God's glory. But you see, that's not easy to do. Because to attempt to define the glory of God, it is so hard. It is nearly impossible. But I believe that there is a definition of the term that we can gather from a revealing fact that we find in this text. And then we can grab that definition and we can strengthen it by connecting it to two other scriptures. Okay? So in light of this text, that brings us to the pinnacle, to the end, the climax of the book of Exodus, we are going to simply go over three things this morning. And you could follow on your notes. There's three things we're going to go over this morning. Now, I know many of you have small children. And if you do have small children, I think you can agree with me that they have a great desire to comprehend. They might not always obey, but they have a great desire to comprehend. You see, just to give you an example, a date with my daughter, who is about three and a half, would consider of constant questioning. Constant questioning. Daddy, what is that boy doing over there? Daddy, why is he doing that? Daddy, how can I do that? 
So this morning, I invite you to become like a child in your desire to comprehend. And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to ask the very same questions that our children ask us every day. We're going to ask, what is the glory of God? Then we're going to ask, why does God call us to set our sights on his glory? And finally, we will ask, how can we set our sights on the glory of God? So our first question, what is the glory of God? Well, if you guys look back on your text this morning, verses 34 and the end of verse 35 give us a description of what happened that day. It says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so you have the beginning of verse 34 and then you have the end of verse 35 telling us exactly what happened that day. But sandwiched right in between the two repetitions of this account, we find a very revealing fact. In the beginning of verse 35, it says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Now we may ask, like our children, why is Moses, or any other Israelite for that matter, not able to enter the tent of meeting? Well, the rest of the verse tells us why. It says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, this is very important for us not to miss. Church, God through Moses in this text reminds us that he is holy. He is holy. And by being reminded of his holiness, we are assisted in defining the glory of God. You see, the holiness of God is his being in a class by himself in his perfection and greatness and worth. He is incomparable. His holiness is his uniqueness and perfect divine essence. It determines all that he is and all that he does and is determined by nothing or no one except himself. His holiness is what he is. As God, which no one else is. You see, when we read the description of Isaiah's vision of the throne of God in Isaiah 6.3, we hear the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then they say, the whole earth is full. You would think that they would probably say holiness, right? I mean, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness. But no, that is not what they say. This is what they say. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They say the whole earth is full of his glory. You see, the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. It's the going public of his holiness. God's holiness is the incomparable perfection and greatness of his divine nature. And his glory is the manifestation 
of his nature. Okay, Jose, speak English to me. What this means, guys, is that when the glory of God filled the tabernacle in verses 34 and 35, what they are seeing is the fulfillment of God's precious promise to them in Exodus 29, 43, and 46. It says, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Sanctified is another word for being made holy. Sanctified by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God's. You see, God's glorious presence is now nearer to the Israelites than ever before. What was once distant in a cloud before them or behind them or on top of Mount Sinai is now in their very midst. Palm Vista, are you filled with joy to know that God dwells in the midst of his people. Are you filled with joy to know that God dwells in the midst of his people? For the glory of God to come and dwell in the tabernacle was for God to come and dwell in the tabernacle. And this leads us to our second question. Why are we called to set our sights on the glory of God? See, God calls us to set our sights on His glory because God is passionate about His glory. He delights in His glory and He calls His children to delight in Him. Well, that sounds a little, a little egocentric, doesn't it? A little self-centered? Maybe. It does. It does if God was a man. It does if God was a man. You see, we need to understand that egocentric is a hip-hop or a rock artist on MTV Cribs saying, Behold my glory. That's egocentric. Egocentric, egocentric is a billionaire saying, behold the glory of my riches. Egocentric, it's a sports athlete on the cover of magazines saying, behold the glory of my accomplishments. That is egocentric. Egocentric church, egocentric is you and me living our own lives, doing whatever we want without being aware 
of God. That is egocentric. Egocentric is you and me living our lives with no regards to God and no regards to His passion. God is not egocentric. You see, God is the uncreated, infinite, eternal, unchangeable being whose very nature is love, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That is who God is. That is who God is, and He is worthy. He is worthy. That is why at this very moment, there is a heavenly choir of living creatures around the throne of God who say, with with never ceasing, day and night, never ceasing, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Church, we set our sights on the glory of God because He is worthy. That's why. That's why He calls us to set our sights on Him. Because He is worthy. But it doesn't stop there. It begins there. But it doesn't stop there. You see, we set our sights on the glory of God because it's for our own good. It is for our own good. Reading from the quote that's in your uh, notes, Jonathan Edward writes, God, in seeking His glory, seeks the good of His creatures because the emanation of His glory, and I tried looking everywhere for a definition for that word, it was pretty hard to find. Uh, The best thing I could come up with is for the flow of His glory implies the happiness of His creatures. And in communicating His fullness for them, He does it for Himself. Because, now check this out guys, their good, your good, which He seeks, is so much in union and communing with Himself. God is their good. He is our good. God is their excellency and happiness. Is nothing but the emanation and expression of God's glory. God, in seeking their glory and happiness, seeks Himself. So God is calling us to set our sights on His glory because He is worthy to set our sights on. And because it is good, it is for our own good. You see, our text this morning and the whole book of Exodus testifies to this truth. God, by His presence, and we've seen this, guys, throughout the book of Exodus. I'm not going to spend time to go in each one, but we have seen this. Throughout the whole book of Exodus, His presence has protected the people. His presence has empowered the people. His presence has guided them. And in fact, at the end, uh, verses uh, 38 through 40, it talks about Him being their guidance. And God, by His presence, has extended to them mercy. 
He's extended to them mercy. Church, the appearance of the glory of God in the tabernacle was not just a momentary manifestation of God. The glory of God settled on the tabernacle to abide there. And in doing so, God was communicating to them, I am your God, and you are my people. Yes, I know you tried to make your own God in the form of a cow, and, 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 and I know you, have, you haven't stopped complaining since you left Egypt, but in spite of all your sin, I will display my mercy and come down to dwell with you, and I will protect you and lead you to the land that I have prepared for you. God's glory in the tabernacle was an assurance to the Israelites that they will get to the promised land of Canaan. It's God's glory for you, an assurance that you will also get to the promised land. Palm Vista, are you enjoying the protection, the empowerment, the guidance and mercy of God's abiding presence? Are you? And this leads us to our last question this morning. I love when my daughter asks me this because a lot of times I have to tell her, well, honey, you can't. But third question says, how do we set our sights on the glory of God. How do we set our sights on the glory of God? Well, on April 12, 1961, this is hard to pronounce, guys. Yuri Gagarin became the first human ever to travel into space and return. This man became an instant hero for what was at that time the Soviet Union. And after his historic event, First Secretary Nikita Khrushchev, in a speech for the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, quoted Yuri Gagarin as saying from space, I don't see any God out here. I don't see any God out here. Brothers and sisters, I plead to you this morning, through the authority of God's word, don't take that approach when it comes to God. Don't take that approach when it comes to God. If in some form, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, you are questioning in your heart, how can I set my sights on something that I can't see? I beg of you. I beg of you. Please, don't make a fool of yourself by denying what your physical eyes cannot see. Do not make a fool of yourself by denying what your physical eyes cannot see. God has revealed himself and God dwells with his people in the wilderness And God has revealed himself and he dwells with his people today. We no longer look to a tent in the middle of a camp covered with goatskins. We are no longer looking to a cloud to see the glory of God. And listen to me carefully. I am not trying to downgrade 
the reality of what happened in the wilderness. But what Israel experienced in the wilderness pointed to a greater revelation and a more intimate one. God reveals and dwells with us not by descending in a cloud and filling a tent with his glory. He does it by being born in the flesh. Being born in the flesh and living among us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now to hear the full force of that verse, you have to go back to verse 1. In verse 1 of John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. John refers to Jesus as the word, and he plainly tells us that the word was God. And the word became flesh. If the word was God, and the word became flesh, then God became flesh. God became flesh. God became human, and he set up his tent among us, and at the age of 33, he was nailed to a wooden cross as a substitute for sinners. The righteous. Christ. For the unrighteous. Us. Nailed to a cross. In order that all who believe in his name and receive him would be given the right to become the children of God. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? If you are, rejoice. Romans 8.14 tells us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoptions of sons. Church, therefore Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit. God no longer dwells in tents or temples built by human hands. He doesn't fill the tent in the wilderness with his glory anymore. He fills his church. God dwells in his church. You and me, God dwells in his church. The body of Christ. Listen, you don't need to be in the dark when it comes to God. You don't need to be in the dark when it comes to God. God has made himself known. And God dwells here with us. This morning when we came to this building, God came with us. Because God dwells in us. This morning as we prayed for the Georges, and as they sit in a hospital room, God is there with them. Because God dwells with his people.
If you have never believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ, your only chance of seeing God's glory prior to judgment is for you to repent of your self-centeredness, of your egocentric life, and place your trust in Christ. And if you have placed your trust in Christ, hallelujah, behold the glory of God. The more you see it, the more you experience it, the more you will fall in love with it. As we look to the gospel, we see the glory of God. As we look to Jesus being born of a virgin, we look, we behold the glory of God. As we look to his perfect life, we behold the glory of God. As we look to his death on a cross, we behold the glory of God. As we look to his resurrection from the dead, we behold the glory of God. Church, let us behold the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice this morning because you have founded your pleasure 